1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here's Rodney Hood lobbed to the rib. Rudy's high! And Rudy throws down two right out of the shoot.
0: You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: It is Locked On Jazz. Of October. The Jazz blow out the Clippers as Rudy thrives and Dante continues to grow. We'll touch on that. Plus, the three point shooting develops more and more for the Jazz. The GM survey is out. A look around the league last night, and Brian Seaman stops by for the in arena interview. It's all today unlocked on, on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Thanks so much for. Stopping by today's Locked On Jazz Edition, there's postcast for you from last night. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and there's great stuff. Across the network for you today, Uh, I expect to have the Locked On NBA Western Conference Preview Part 1 up for you. So that should be a really good show. Uh, If you have missed the Eastern Conference, the Locked On Podcast Network hosts are recording about 7 to 10 minutes on their team, maybe hopefully less, uh, and breaking down kind of Uh, where their team stands, answering a bunch of questions, and we run through each one of them uh, for you as a preview. The Eastern Conference ones were a big hit, so the Western Conference hosts uh, will do that for you. As well. Locked on Kings has Gary uh, Gerald, who's the longtime play-by-play announcer and had Katie Christensen on yesterday. So Jason Ross is doing a lot of fun stuff on that show uh, worth grabbing and all the stuff on Locked on NFL as well. Uh, Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Sherlock Intelligence, as well as Devin Cash. Equity real estate. Uh, As I told you, today's show is going to have – we'll talk about Rudy and Dante. Preseason game yesterday. We'll look at the GM survey and Brian Seaman uh, coming up for you as well. If you're in the market for a house – Devin Cash is your answer. Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate has been helping out Jazz fans all summer long since he became a sponsor of Locked on Jazz, and this is the answer for you. Zach Campbell was the latest guy who helped him out, and he told me a great story. He moved his pin to Bountiful, Utah, because how did he end up there? His love of the Jazz, hard work of the podcast, and Devin Cash. Devin went to bat for him, ensured he got into the new house and not j- got into his home, not just a house. He kept them in the loop every step of the way, and what uh, Zach really believes it was Devin's ability Ability to communicate with other realtors and the counterparts because there were multiple offers on that house Devin fostered positive relationships with people and since several people were vying for the house they knew the situation and to Devin's credit they got the house they wanted in Bountiful very excited uh, for the Campbell family back in Utah uh, Devin also got them season tickets for this season. That's what Devin can do for you. If you use Devin to buy or sell a home, he'll buy you season tickets for the upcoming season uh, for the Utah Jazz. You can call Devin at 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. Plus, if you know someone who's buying or selling a house, well, you might as well tell them about our friend Devin, because well, Devin's getting them tickets, so that would mean they take you to a game, right? Right? Don't you think? Check it out. Devin Cash. Get at him first. He can give you a nice market analysis of the house and your home value. Get you into the market, and it will walk you through the process. He always talks about the fact that he likes to approach real estate with the heart of a teacher, never having anyone uncomfortable or nervous in a process that can be very nerve-wracking. Devin Cash, Equity Real Estate, 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. Ninety-five. All right, let's get to our pins across the world. This is where we start every single show. Would very much like it if you were to do the same by sending in a little note to me that tells me how you became a jazz fan and where it is you listen and tune into the show. From uh, we always like the backstory, kind of the community that we have, uh, and, and who everybody is. Uh, I'm going to go to a more recent one. I've kind of been bouncing between the recent drop-ins and the old ones. Uh, Put a pin in Draper, Utah. Says Dan Burnett. I started my Jazz fandom a long time ago. Participated in the first year of Junior Jazz. Mark Eaton met us and told us his mom promised him that if he ate his vegetables, he would grow really tall. And then told the Junior Jazz participants to eat their vegetables. After that, I was a 15. 15- your half-season ticket holder on the second-to-last row of the Salt Palace. I watched fans pour out of the arena with two minutes to go against the Bulls, only to start pouring back in as the Jazz made their comeback in Stockton's 3.6-second race down the court. Bounced off the rim and in. I got to chant AC who when the rest of the crowd as Malone went for 60 against Milwaukee. My favorite Jazz memory, though, is from the 96 playoffs when I had just started dating a girl who is now my wife. I bought tickets to the Jazz Spurs game, stopped by her house to pick her up, met her father for the first time. He asked where we we're going. I told him, uh, he said, I've never been to a Jazz playoff game. I said, I, I as If I should leave his daughter and take him instead, I didn't, but I could do no wrong after that, and we have gone to many games together in the 20 years since. As a matter of fact, I bought Jazz Summer League tickets for each, for him. Each of the last two years is a Father's Day gift and took him and my father to games. Based in no small part because I heard about the tickets on your podcast. Oh, I like that. Uh, they both agree it was the best Father's Day gift ever. Been listening to Lockdown Jazz since the beginning. Thanks so much for all your efforts. I'm a better and more informed fan. And congratulations on the Lockdown Podcast Network. That is Dan Burnett in Draper, Utah. Dan, sorry, I butchered parts of that. But love the story uh, and love the story of the first date along the way. Send me yours at dlock zero nine at gmail.com. We'd love to hear how you became a Jazz fan and where it is that you tune into this program from. All right, let's get to the tip-off story of the day. It's just the ads. Last night, yesterday, Quinn Snyder brought the group together at the end of shoot-around and said, I want consistent defensive effort for the night. Just get, Let's go for a night of consistent defensive effort. And boy, did they do that. And it's, you know, hey, there's no question uh, about the fact that a pick-and-roll with Austin Rivers, Brandon Bass, And Mo Spades is not the same as Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. But that's what the Jazz had last night. And so that's all they could compete against. And they did it as well as they possibly could. The defense last night was great. The pick-and-roll switching was very, very good. The early commitment to the pick-and-roll defensively was terrific. And then Rudy's rim protection has been unreal uh, throughout the preseason. And Rudy has really just been terrific. And again... Here we see it as uh, Rudy able to have an offensive impact on the game. Uh, John Schumann does one stat, one team for the Utah Jazz, or for every team in the NBA on on NBA uh, on NBA dot com. And yesterday he did the Utah Jazz, and one of the notes he had in there was that Rudy Gobert last year had more touches than anyone in the league, or had as fewer shot attempts for touch of anyone in the league other than, I think it was Steve Blake and Jose Calderon, so two point guards that never shoot. That Gobert averaged just 9.7 field goal attempts per 100 touches, third lowest rate in the league among all players. And it's clear that the Jazz are doing a, huge, making a huge effort to change that uh, this year, and Rudy has been terrific. Uh, I talked to Rudy for a while yesterday about it, and he said you know the one thing we talked about was that when he set his feet a year ago after the uh injury he did he never felt solid and so when he set his feet to try to you know get down and catch a pass, he never felt comfortable all of last year after that and the injury he just battled through it and he had huge drop issues at the end of last year and if you remember in our exit interview he said i don't have a drop problem and was pretty insistent about it that uh, he did not have a problem. And uh, my hands are fine. And so far this year, I'd have to say he's showing his hands are much better uh, than they were a year ago. And this may just be the, the, you know, a month he spent at P3 working out to physically get stronger uh, on the bottom half. This might be the fact that his knee is not bothering him, so he's able to be healthy and come set uh, and, and catch it. And then the other factor that we just cannot underestimate is how incredible Boris Diaw is. Boris Diaw uh, is one of the best passers in the game. If not, I mean, I, I don't know how far I want to take that, but he is he, unquestionably an elite big man passer in the game. Uh, last year, he recorded assists on 25.5% of his possessions. It was the fifth highest rate amongst forwards. Uh, Joe Ingles was 15th. So you got two guys who can really move the basketball. And D out is just creating things for everyone. The pass last night to Shelvin Mack was remarkable as a football quarterback throwing a pass to a guy cutting to a spot before he even got there through traffic. And then when you start to add in uh, the other aspects of Boris, that he can play outside, so it gives – Rudy a free lane to the basket, and Rudy, and he's putting passes where Rudy can catch it. There was a play last night where George Hill bounced a pass up to Rudy. That frankly, we just haven't had a point guard who could throw these passes to Rudy. And so maybe some of Rudy's drop issues have been that our point guards haven't been good enough to give him the ball where he needs it, and at the right time. We'll, we'll see uh, if this can be if this can be maintained. But if if Rudy Gobert, uh, the can play the level that he has been playing in the preseason, in the regular season, this is one of those scenarios where I talked about us becoming great. Like what makes us great? Well I, mine was that Rodney Hood and Rudy Gobert take the natural steps by being a second year starter that will make that make them, you know, that propel the team that you know Rudy last year it was his first year ever starting. This year he's physically ready for it. He's able to go through it at a different level, and we're seeing a a totally different player. And I I I'm, I've talked about this so much. I don't want to go back to it and bore you again, but we have I've I think I've run you through the numbers of how incredibly valuable having a big man do what Rudy's doing right now. If you can go get eight, nine, ten, twelve possessions out of someone. Out of Gobert, at the level that we're getting right now, your offense becomes one of the best offenses in the league because those possessions are just remarkable. Last night, Rudy used nine, nine-and-a-half possessions or scoring opportunities to get 15 points. That's elite-level stuff. Now, he was seven of eight shooting last night and three of three from the line. You can't be much better than that. Uh, Fifteen points, ten rebounds last night. I thought he had or 17 points, 10 rebounds last night, plus 15 when he was on the floor. Just terrific. Uh, really, and, and and that's a huge aspect to where the Jazz are right now. If Rudy is able to put together anything close to what we're seeing right now in the preseason at 14 points, nine rebounds a game, uh, it's just a totally different world. Now, what's interesting, and I brought this up with Ron on the po- on the postcast last night, is how much of this is just the fact that he's playing with Boris Dia. You no. Know, he's playing with an incredible passer. Are these same shots going to be available for him when he's on the floor with Derek Favors? That's that's I don't know the answer to that. Trey Lyles is is a versatile, skilled guy, but nowhere nowhere near the level that we're seeing out of Boris Dio. It, the, the, the passing and play of Boris Dio it blows me away. After the game, I was talking with Clippers uh, announcer Michael Smith. He's just like, Boris is such an amazing fit. The other thing about Boris that can't be underestimated is his persona, his personality. Manu Ginobili said it. Boris's worst day is all of our best days. It is true. He's infectious. You want to be around him. You want to talk to him. You want to spend time with him. And the players are that way too. There's more conversation going around with the players. There's more conversation going around with players when they're sitting and eating at the practice facility. It, George and Boris are adding an element to this team that we just have not had uh, before on this roster and it it's changing so many aspects of who, uh, the jazz are. Sherlock Intelligence is a local Utah company that is bringing me as part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, my big data. And it can help you out a great deal also. If you own a small company or you're in a small company that is trying to compete with the big boys, you've got to have your data. its I mean, let's be honest about it. If you don't use what's out there today, you're being negligent. And data can allow you in this day and age to grow your profits – First, to find your pattern. Second, to know your customers. And then to grow your profits. It's not immediately. You have to use it correctly. And that's where Sherlock Intelligence comes in to be so helpful. One, they capture the data from multiple sources to give you a holistic picture. That's not something that I can do uh, from my aspect running a network of 66 shows. You're able – maybe you – your company is a, a small bank, a credit union, something like that. And, you know, when I go into Chase, they know everything about me. They're using all their data. That's a major company. They've got me. Ma- but how do you compete if you're a credit union or a smaller bank? Because you get Sherlock Intelligence to go and bring in the data from multiple sources, give you the holistic picture. Now, the first part is is finding those patterns and knowing your customers. The second part is how do you use it to grow your profits? Well, they'll help you with that. They'll visualize Give you items so you can visualize the data so you can understand it. And then they'll help you analyze it and break it down in a way that will help you compete with the big boys with the same information that they're using to compete against you every single time. It would be like an NBA team not using analytics, just shooting mid-range twos all the time and assuming they're going to go in. This is what you've got to do to compete in this day and age. And Sherlock Intelligence has been built for you to be able to compete On that level. Give them a call at 855-339-7774. That's 855-339-7774. Or visit SherlockIntelligence.com. That's 855-339-7774. I mentioned John Schumann's uh, one team, one stat. He did a big thing about how we didn't finish. That's his main thing about the Jazz, is, is that we didn't finish. Uh, and what we've talked about a lot, that it was really a defensive issue. The one thing he didn't get into, actually, it was a defensive rebounding issue. Uh, more than anything else, what, what he did reveal that I thought was interesting and, will be, and I think uh, will be interesting a little bit for the Jazz next year uh, is that the Jazz defense was not very good against the best teams. And our defense last year, which I didn't realize, was really only good against not very good teams. Uh, He talked about how, obviously, we were 14-28 and in games, decided by five with five minutes left. Uh, But what he talked about most of all was that in those close games, teams shot 48% from the field, 40% from three. And even when Rudy was on the floor, we were pretty terrible defensively. That's because we didn't defensive rebound. Uh, We knew all of those things. Uh, and so the Jazz have got to find a way to deal with that. But what jumped out was that Utah was 26 defensively against the league's top 10 offenses last year. We allowed 109.9 points per 100 possessions in 32 games against that group. We went 8 and 24. But against the lesser teams uh, in those 50 games, we were 32 and 18, allowing just 96 points per 100 possessions. So why is that? Is it a schematic thing? Well,. My one thought on it is that we just weren't that talented, and so the best teams were more talented than we were and able to expose kind of our schematics and what we were doing, whereas the lesser teams were not. Is that too simplistic? Maybe. Uh, but this is worth keeping an eye on. I was totally unaware of this. John Schumann with a great find here that the Jazz were 26 defensively against the league's top ten offenses and uh, against the – whereas against the others, uh, they are much better. Some other notes he had in there, by the way. Uh, we were much better um, offensively uh – in the second half of games, and we were much worse defensively, that relates to what we were talking about before, uh, we took the fewest amount of shots of any team in the final first 12 seconds of the shot clock. It wasn't even close, 35.5% of our shots in the first 12 seconds, and then Toronto was next at 41.3, and the league average was 50. So that'll be worth watching to see whether we can pick up that First 12 seconds of the shot clock uh, next year. One thing we've all talked about a lot, our four most used lineups outscored our opponents by 8.8 points per 100 possessions, and now the question is whether or not we can get the depth of the other lineups, and we saw that last night. You know, We had, at one point, Shelvin Mack, Howell Netto, Joe Ingles, Trey Lyles, and Jeff Withy on the floor. Four of those five guys are not expected to play for us, and they played very well against the Clippers' primary bench. Uh, I, I think we showed our depth. Hey, there's no question that Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan are better than our best three, right? They're better than Hayward, Hood, and Favors. But from that point on, we were now playing last night. for Really, both teams were without four of their primary nine guys. And so what really was being played was your next group of guys. And the Jazz just waxed the Clippers last night. And the Jazz couldn't have looked... And obviously, George Hill being a point guard staying on compared to Chris Paul. That's a huge change in that game. Uh, George Hill just was so good last night again. and But it's still telling at how deep the Jazz are compared to where uh, the Clippers are. on. And we saw a lot of that with Dante late in the game leading the Jazz played particularly well. Uh, Dante is just having... A great preseason. And for no other reason simply than he's getting 30 minutes a night of action. Uh, he's getting where he wants to on the floor. He looks comfortable. There's no way you could look at him and think he's coming off an injury in any way. Uh, he played 31 minutes last night. There's still all sorts of issues with his game that have to get better. I, I don't care about that. Dante Exum, his goal in the preseason was to get through the preseason play. He's averaging 21, 22 minutes a night. Uh, and has actually scored twice at a rate that he didn't do in all of his rookie season. But just out there, looks comfortable, playing aggressively, playing hard. You know, the fact that he talked about he has to play better um, while he is fatigued the other day was kind of a big storyline out of shoot-around. Okay, he's worrying about that instead of anything else. That's great. That's a huge step in the right direction. And for that reason, it's been a terrific preseason uh, for Dante Exum. Remember, opening night is a blue out. Uh, the Jazz have discounted shirts at all the fan stores. If you're coming to opening night to see the Jazz play the Lakers, that's Friday the 28th. We're doing a blue out. Um, the uh, and so Everyone's wearing kind of the navy blue. You can buy those fun shirts at the fans, like our—I think they're called our Pride jerseys. They've got them in T-shirts at the fan stores around. Before you head to the game, give you a nice little warning uh, to get those. By the way, there's a ticket package available that includes opening night against the Lakers, Memphis on the 14th, and then the Golden State's only visit on December 8th. Uh, all for under 100 bucks. Plus, you get a really cool hat. So that's available for you <coughs> along the way. All right, GM survey is out today. Uh. And let me run through some of the things I thought were relevant to us. And then I'll run through some of the other things uh, as well. First of all, is the, they, so the, what this is, is supposedly the GMs of the N- NBA, you know, who knows who does it, but I think it's the GMs or someone in the front office of every team answers a bunch of questions. It's always kind of a fun event. John Schumann of NBA.com uh, puts it together and... Uh, they so they sixty nine percent pick golden State to win at thirty one percent Cleveland, nobody else they pick the east as follows Cleveland Toronto, Boston, Indiana at four I'm surprised I just i don 't see it, but the people love Paul George Detroit at five, and i don 't know who I see catching them. I guess I have Atlanta, Detroit at five, Atlanta at six, Charlotte seven Washington at eight Kentis, those are probably the playoff teams I have. I think Milwaukee. Uh, with Middleton made a run, and maybe Milwaukee makes a little run this year. I looked at their roster after playing their preseason game yesterday at pretty full tilt, and I'm not nearly as convinced. Uh, The top four, the West they had, uh, Golden State, San Antonio, Clippers, Oklahoma City. They were asked to just rank the top four. Uh, Man, Warriors most likely one, San Antonio most likely two, Clippers most likely three, Oklahoma City most likely four, Portland, five Utah six Memphis seven Houston eight uh and Houston actually with a pretty high percentage uh finishing as high as fourth some people had Memphis finishing as high as third they had 18% had the Jazz finishing as high as fourth uh LeBron is the favorite to win the MVP followed by Westbrook Curry and Harden if you're starting a franchise today they want Carl Anthony Towns and then Durant uh most likely have a breakout season. Devin Booker, then Carl Anthony Townsend, Miles Turner. No mention of uh, any jazz player in there. I guess I would have put Rudy Gobert possibly. Uh, maybe they feel like he's already broken out. Best player by position, Steph Curry beats out Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. James Harden beats out Clay Thompson and Dwayne Wade. LeBron James beats out Durant for small forward. Anthony Davis beats out LeBron and Draymond Green for power forward. Best center, DeAndre, beats out DeMarcus Cousins. Offseason moves. Which team made the best overall moves this offseason? Utah comes in second behind Golden State, Indiana, as well. One player, biggest move is Kevin Durant, obviously. Most underrated player move is George Hill. And Boris Diao gets votes that are mentioned. Utah comes in second and most improved behind Minnesota. Boy, I was listening last night to Tim Bontkamp's, Bontemp's uh, Washington Post national writer on a podcast. He thinks Minnesota's going to win 50 games. Uh, few Best rookie, Chris Dunn. Uh, Buddy Heald are the leaders in that. Uh, what rookie will be the best in five years? Ben Simmons. Biggest steal rookie, DeJounte Murray. Best international player, Otto Dukumbo and Marcus Um Best defensive player, Kawhi Leonard, followed by LeBron James, Avery Bradley, Draymond Green, DeAndre Jordan, Hassan Whiteside, and no votes for Rudy Gobert. Best interior defender, DeAndre Jordan, followed by Rudy Gobert. Best defensive team, San Antonio, Boston, Cleveland, Golden State, Utah. Cleveland, Golden State, and Utah all tied for third. Quinn doesn't get any votes on the head coaches. They're all dominated by Greg Popovich, Rick Carlisle, Brad Stevens, and Steve Kerr on all of them. Tom Thibodeau, though, is voted as the best defensive coach in the league behind Popovich. I'm surprised Frank Vogel didn't get more votes there. And Ronnie Price got votes and most likely uh, one of the players most likely to become a head coach. So interesting little tidbits all around and all about. Thanks to Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate and Sherlock Intelligence for sponsoring today's program. Make sure you get your blue jerseys. And now it's time for our in-arena interview with... Brian Seaman, Clippers radio voice, talking about the West, talking about the Clippers. Let's see what he has to say. Thanks very much for tuning in to Lockdown Jazz. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Thank you all for the great reviews. And make sure you catch the other programs on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Radio voice of the LA Clippers. He's absolutely fabulous as well. I say that even when his boss is not around, but I also say it when his boss is right. So, by the way, what are you buying me for that?
0: Oh, it's, it's the, the check, as they say, is in the mail. It's triple figures. It's an entire uh, game salary for me. So, enjoy the hundred dollars it will come your way. Any so, if day I long. do
1: stats for you, I get paid more than if you actually oh, absolutely.
0: work. Absolutely. Well, they, they, they pay me by how much, they, how good they think I am. So, a hundred bucks is uh, pretty good.
1: So these are in-arena interviews that we're doing with someone almost every night, and the best part is you get the obnoxious music in the background, and then we get to talk. But what is your viewpoint on the Clippers? When you start running the numbers, they still have, I think they have four of the best 30 players in the NBA. Most people think they have three of the best 20 players in the NBA. I think J.J.'s... Unreal. He came out as the fourth most impactful offensive player in the NBA in my ratings last year. How good can this Clipper team be?
0: I really think they're going to be the, the best that they've been under Doc Rivers, obviously, if they stay healthy. You know, in 2013 and 14, that's Doc's first year. They had Darren Collison. They had a really nice bench. Jamal wins sixth man of the year. And in the last couple of years, the bench has been interesting. Two years ago, it was a, an abomination. And then last year it was a no-name bench in a way because they bring in lance stevenson josh smith and paul fears but those guys weren't impact players like i think everybody thought they could be and felt like a year ago this guy was the limit and it was a Christmas night game when Doc kind of flipped over the table in the game and said, right, we're, d- we're done with that lineup. We're going to go more traditional. Pablo Prigioni and Cole Alters came in, and that catapulted the Clippers into a top five bench. I think the bench this year will be better. The roles are more defined. The players are going to come in understanding exactly what they're going to do. I'm a big Mo base fan. The guy that's gone under the radar is Brandon Bass. I think he's going to have a huge impact. And another guy that's gone under the radar, Raymond Felton. You know, I think when you look from a distance, You think he's bringing baggage, and and I think too many people are remembering that the lockout year where he wasn't in shape, and guess what? Probably about 70% of the NBA wasn't in shape when that league started, but I, too, had preconceived notions of what he is. I think he's going to be terrific. I really do. I like
1: Raymond Felton more than the first two guys you mentioned, but not a most space guy, maybe because he averages like 14 shots for 13 minutes on the floor. (laughs) Um, That's not
0: going to change this year, (laughs) I don't think. Let me
1: ask you, let me play devil's advocate for a second. Where, and I asked Doc this question actually interestingly open last year, when is there a moment when a group has had too many bad experiences together? You have going in reverse order, you have the Blake punch, you have the loss to the Rockets in the playoffs, you have to so many, this group as a whole has just had the DeAndre weird free agency. There's just been a lot for this group. It's been weird, and the only one
0: that I can't really explain away is that the 3-1 loss to the Houston Rockets. The Blake punch did not impact the the team all that much. In in, in reality, uh, he was missing time, not because of his punch, because of his knee. And the day of his injury, back on Christmas, the Clippers won 10 in a row starting right here in Utah. Um, You know, they've had some odd experiences, but I, I think the DeAndre thing was a great thing, to be honest, because there was... You know, I think people from the outside looking in thinking that there was a lot of bad blood and they were able to clear whatever was an issue, if there was one. I, I don't know. I, I just look at the guys. It's so hard to collect guys that, you know, you've got Chris Paul, first-team All-NBA. You've got DeAndre, a first-team All-NBA. You've got Blake, who should be, eventually will be, I, I think. It's just, David, you know, you've been around this league forever. It's so hard to get that kind of talent together. I don't think you break it up. Let's go back to J.J. You didn't, I think that's, that's the key to everything. I think J.J. is a straw that literally stirs the drink. And I mean literally. He is moving everybody around and getting that circulation going. It, it's a great 4-4 four four for the Clippers to have, and when they finally find that bench unit, which they may have found this year, I think something special could really happen. I really do. I, I will remind everybody, I have a Clipper logo on my paycheck, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily paid to say these things, but I really do believe it. You and I spoke when the Clippers won anything many years ago, and I wasn't saying nice things, so I really do believe it. What is your viewpoint of the rest of the West? Interesting, obviously, so wide open. I mean, I I will say this I have Utah with home court edge. I really do. I think they're going to be right there in the thick of things. It's a coin flip between uh, Utah and the Blazers for a four spot. Uh, I feel it's one-two, Golden State, Clippers, and I don't—I don't know. Where do you sit with San Antonio? You—you you have them high with that look on your face. I've got them bottoming so out. That's a little interesting.
1: Bit. I do too. Uh, Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated does. Zach Lowe has voiced some concern. I voiced this concern a while back. Everyone kind of mocked me. It's interesting now. I suddenly hear other people. What I don't like about them is that Lamarcus Aldridge is their longest-standing big they have on the roster. Deadman and Lee are their backups. How Gasol is the, they don't that culture that everyone's talking about, it, it their bigs is not there. It's, now, on the other end, they were so great defensively last year. It's not even close. I actually thought they had mastered the system a little bit. Like I think they know something that everybody else doesn't know numerically. I think they're a step ahead the same way they were offensively at one point, defensively, and so maybe it's ridiculous that all of us are thinking this. And if they are a top five defensive team, which it's hard to believe they won't be when they have Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard on the wings and they're going to be fine
0: i don't know i just feel like there's a a step back and i know that tim duncan wasn't 2004 tim duncan but there's something missing there paul gasol is a great support member for tim duncan but when he's going to take over that role in a way i don't know i'm not sold on san antonio he's such
1: a great passer though. and and so maybe the whole thing runs off his passing aldridge is not a great passer, so now this i mean maybe they really open up the souls passing and they
0: become unguardable. Listen, their obituary has been written before, and, and they have always had the last laugh, so it wouldn't surprise me. But I find the West, it's not as tense as it has been in years past, where, I don't remember the numbers, but it was like four through nine were separated by like two games a couple of years ago. I'm exaggerating, but it wasn't that far off. I don't feel that kind of stress uh, throughout the West, and I think it's going to be a clear cut separation in the top eight teams.
1: You have, so now you have
0: Utah as a playoff team. Yeah. you have Minnesota as a playoff team? I think they're going to, I think they might be Utah last year. Uh, have an opportunity, lose some winnable games down the road. I think if the game on April 8th here, Clippers rest their starting five, and Cole Aldrich destroys Rudy Gobert, and Jamal Crawford is a buzzer beater. I wouldn't surprise me if that happens to Minnesota, but they've got so much talent. And the one thing about them is, and our good friend Alan Horton is out there, that culture has done an absolute 180 faster than any other team I've ever seen in the NBA. And it might not happen this year, but going forward for the next 10 years, that team and organization is really going to be on the forefront.
1: You can hear Alan Horton on Lockdown Wolves, by the way, every day if you'd like to on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Just mention that to you, you know, play-by-play announcers <laughs> do do this. No worries, DJ Foster.
0: Just mentioning it to Brian. DJ, I'm listening to DJ. does a great job. Uh, and he knows the rap music a lot better than I do.
1: So that, I, that's I can, true. I can't and he like plays that. really funny games like, like Clipper or Vodka Drink or I've, I've other silly the, things. He does a
0: good job, so you're in good hands.
1: All right. If, if the Jazz are in and maybe Minnesota's in, who's out? Gosh, I haven't done the math on that
0: one yet. It's, it's, oh, uh, so you're like
1: Dick Vitale. You have like 74 teams I have, in the turn. I have 10 teams making the playoffs. Is that too many? <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. I, I have Minnesota's a fringe team. I have Utah positively in depending on what happens in Memphis injury-wise, it just seems like that's happening a lot. Um, MRI on Gasol's foot. I mean, that's not what I want to hear because I'm a Marc Gasol fan, and I don't know about Houston. I really don't.
1: I, just I don't... like Houston a lot. I think they'll be a top-five offensive team. If you're a top-five offensive team, you win a lot of games. I think they'll be the fourth seed. Uh, really? Wow, I'm a Mike D'Antoni fan. I'm uh, not
0: so much anybody else out there. Ross, a fan, but we'll see. I think the West is going to be fun, but as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't seem to have the tenseness that it's had in years past where if you went on a three-game losing streak in March, you went from number two to number nine in a heartbeat. I
1: don't see that happening this year. That's Brian Seaman. This is Locked On Jazz in Arena Interview. This has been Locked On Jazz today. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.